Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. So, um, this last while we'll be talking about prayer. And uh, from Second Thessalonians, the first chapter. <clears throat> so, um, this morning I just want to share sort of the, the, the last message in that series we actually do get to Paul's prayer. So, um, you know, who of you would like to pray more or pray more effectively? I think we all feel like that. If you're a Christian, you probably want to pray more uh, and, and pray more effectively. Who of, you'd, who of you'd like to pray like Paul? I mean, Paul, let's face it. I mean, apart from writing, you know, great, powerful letters, he, he could pray. I mean, if, if you look at the fact that I mean, he spent a lot of time, quite a few years in prison. And his churches, the churches that God used him to plant, flourished while he was in prison. And he could only pray for them and write letters to them. I mean, that tells you something about how the man prayed. Okay, so, so we, can, we can learn a bit uh, from him in that. Um, and uh, let me just read for us from... Second Thessalonians 1. I'm just going to first read verse 11 to 12, and then I'll go back and, and, and reread the, the rest of the chapter. Um, this is the actual prayer and, and the part that we're going to focus on this morning. And it says in, in, in verse 11, <clears throat> I think we have it up on the screen. There we go. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that you, uh, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, when he says with this in mind, he's obviously referring to the preceding verses. So we're just going to quickly uh, read that and then I'll just sort of summarize what we shared in the first two um, sermons about this. Uh, in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love uh, all of you have for one another is increasing. And, and what we said was, uh, and maybe you can just quickly bring up that picture um, that first picture with a thank you. Um, what we said was that what you give thanks for most frequently reveals what you value most highly. And one of our problems is that we often give thanks only for external things, only for material things, only things on the outside. And when we look at what Paul gives thanks for, it's for growth in faith, growth in love, and steadfastness and perseverance under persecution. In other words, internal stuff. And if you think about it, um, the next point is that, that we must pr- pray with an eternal perspective, a judgment day perspective. I'll, I'll read that in a moment. But it's only the things on the inside that you can take with you to eternity. None of these things on the outside are going to go with you into eternity. And therefore, we must recognize the priority of the internal life. Um, and and uh, not that it's wrong to play for external stuff. I mean, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So it's, it's quite right and acceptable and even good to pray for those things. But if we're only praying for those things, it 
it, it reveals something that's wrong in our heart. It means that we, we value external things above internal things. Um, and then he goes on, he says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence of God's ju- that, that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Remember that. You'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the, uh, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here... Thanks, Michelle. is that we must value the internal life, even above the external life. Growth in faith, growth in love, and that kind of stuff. But the second thing we see, and if you can just put on that second picture, um, the more we look forward to Judgment Day, the better we pray. Okay? The more we look forward to Judgment Day, the better we pray, because that is where we're all heading. And if you pray for people from a Judgment Day perspective, you're going to pray much more effectively for them. In other words, what... What Paul is saying is that for ourselves and for each other, we have to pray that we will have a good judgment day. Will the things that you pray for those you love and that you pray for, will the things you pray for them help them have a better judgment day? Because that's ultimately what we're heading for. Um, that's, that's, that matters. Okay, so I'm just going to look at the prayer itself. Um, in Second uh, Thessalonians 1 verse 11 and 12. And I'm just going to look at uh, the fact, I mean, Paul prays that God would act. He prays because God w- uh, will act. And he prays based on wh- how God did act, and specifically in the gospel. And I'll explain that in, in a little bit. So firstly, Paul prays, he says in verse 11, we constantly pray for you that our God. We pray for you, that God. He doesn't say, I pray for you that you may do certain things. He says, I pray for you that God may do certain things. I, I mean, that, that is so basic, but it's actually really profound. Prayer is requesting God to act. Prayer is asking God to do something. Prayer is not self-help, it's God-help. You know, so often we, we pray, you know, um, Lord, I pray for Leanne, that Leanne will do this, that, and the other thing. And, and, I, and I have this, you know, yesterday when I was thinking about this, I had this picture, uh, I just sort of imagined this, you know, that, that there was an angel, you know, 
You know, as you're praying that kind of prayer, there's this angel who hears you praying, and then he says to the other angel up in, in heaven who handles, the, you know, the, the prayer emails, you know, and says, did you, did you get that prayer? And the guy said, no. You know, the, the, the inbox is empty. <laughs> because then he prayed for Leanne that Leanne would do certain things. He didn't, it wasn't a prayer. He didn't ask God to do anything. God's inbox is empty. And so often our prayers leaves God's inbox empty. Pray prayers that will fill God's inbox. That will say, God, I want, please, will you do? That's what Paul prayed. He prayed, he says, I pray for you that God. Intercession is always for a person, but it's to God that God would act. That God would do something. That God would intervene. And and Paul prays for them um, that God, so he has three prayer points. We're just going to look at these three prayer points. He says, I pray that God, that, just notice the three that's, that God may make you worthy, that God may bring to fruition your desire, the desires for goodness and the deeds of faith, and that Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So three things that he prays for. And, and note that each of these is a, is a, these prayer points is a request for God to act. And each of these prayer points is a request for God to do for the Thessalonians what they cannot do for themselves. And that is prayer. I mean, that, that is so basic to prayer that we sometimes forget it. So, for God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Um, in other words... Prayer is not self-help. It's God's help. It's crying out for God's help. Um, Corne Becker, a friend, uh, a friend of mine who's now in America at um, Regent University, he always likes to say when he goes into the bookshop, you know, um, you know, exclusive books or, you know, whatever bookshop, and, and, he, and he finds a, a book on Christian self-help, then he takes it out of the Christian section and he goes and puts it into the science fiction and fantasy section where it belongs. <laughs> Because he says Christian self-help is fantasy. There's no such thing. <laughs> okay. So if I want to pray for, for Leanne, I have to pray for Leanne that God would do something in her life. Okay. So do you pray, for like Paul, for people that God would act in their lives? Okay. So Paul prayed that God would act. But Paul also prayed because God would act. Okay, now I just want to read those, those few scriptures in, in Thessalonians. If you can, um, just open up first, um, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Um, and, and quickly put it up on the screen, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Uh, I have that scripture there by itself. Okay, yeah, that one will also do. It says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right and that, uh, and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, so he says you will be counted worthy, okay? You saw that. Now in, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, he says encouraging, confronting, comforting, sorry, and, and uh, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Okay? And then he goes on, and, and then we see in, in that other verse that we read, in the actual prayer, he prays, I pray that God may make you worthy of He's calling. And we're like, Paul, you're confusing us. <laughs> I mean, you, first you say that they will be considered worthy. You also command them to walk worthy. 
And then after that, you pray that God may make them worthy. Well, if God's going to make them worthy, if he's going to consider them worthy, why pray for it? And sometimes that's the mistake we make. You see, we so often say, well, if God's going to do it anyway, why pray for it? Isn't that so? Don't we do that? We do. And and Paul didn't do that. Paul said, I know God's going to do it. Therefore, I command them to do it. And I pray for them that God will do it in them. Paul doesn't say, well, because God's going to do it, I'm not going to pray for it. He says, because God's going to do it, I am going to pray for it all the more. In other words, Paul did that because he recognized that, that God allows us to participate in what he's doing through our prayers and through our obedience. When you pray and obey, you participate. God is our Father. And all good fathers want their children to participate in what they're doing. And God uses our, our prayers and our obedience as means of grace to accomplish his will. He doesn't accomplish his will apart from our prayers and our obedience. He accomplishes it through our prayers and our obedience. I, I once heard this uh, story, and I'm sure most of you have heard it as well. Very famous uh, missionary, um, William Carey. He, he, he was, he's actually considered the father of the modern mission movement. And, and he was once, uh, he was convicted from Scripture that God wanted his people to really take the gospel out there, to go to all nations and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Um, and at that stage, you know, when I read it, I was like surprised and a bit blown away by it. At that stage, there were some churches, at least the church that he belonged to, there might have been more, that be- actually believed that the Great Commission was just for the apostles and for the early church. And that now that the country that they lived in, you know, it was England in that case, was, was a Christian country, it was no longer necessary to obey the Great Commission. And, and, and William Carey got convicted from Scripture. No, it's not so. We must take the gospel. We must make disciples uh, of all nations. And, and uh, you know, he was still a very young man. I think he was actually still a teenager. And, and the, the pastor of the church said to him, Young man, sit down. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it by himself. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help. And so often that's what we do in prayer. Obviously, God does want to save the nations. And what this pastor was reasoning is, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our permission. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. If Just because God wants to do something and even is going to do it, says he's going to do it, doesn't give us permission to be passive and uninvolved and to stop praying and stop obeying. No, because God says, I am going to do it, we should pray and obey all the more and say, God's going to... God's going to do it through us, through our prayers and through our obedience. Amen? So Paul prayed because God would act. Paul says, because you will be considered worthy of the kingdom, 1 verse 5, we pray that God will make you worthy of his calling, 1 verse 11. And we command you to walk worthy of God who calls you. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. So do you pray as if your prayers make a difference? Do you pray for things that you know are God's will as if the accomplishment of God's will depends on your prayers? 
Sure, you know, if, if you're disobedient and you don't pray and you don't obey, I'm sure God will get someone else. He'll still do what he's going to do. But do you really want to miss out on participating in what God is doing in the world? Sometimes we also make the opposite mistake, just by the way. Instead of not praying for something because it is God's will, we pray for something because we want it to be God's will. We grab God's arm, we try and twist it. And we don't realize that God has a rubber arm. You can twist that arm and twist it and twist it. When you let it go, it's going to spin and it's going to give you a part clapper. You know, as it spins. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's a suggestion box in heaven overflowing with unused advice that I've given, that I've given God in prayer (laughs) throughout the years. Anyway, and I'm sure you, uh, for each of us, there's this inbox like this, this suggestion box, where, we, where we, like, we like to tell God what to do, you know. Instead of saying, God, this is what you're going to do, I want to pray for it, we say, God, this is what you ought to do. <laughs> this is what you should do. Okay, and then the third thing. So we said that, that Paul prays that God would act. Okay, he prays to God, asking for God to act. Paul prays because God would act. He knows what God's will is, and, and just he knows what God's going to do, and then he prays for God to do what He knows God is going to do. And then Paul prayed based on how God did act, and specifically in the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, the main charge against those who would be punished is that they do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And obviously those things are connected. It's it's parallelism. He's not talking about two separate things. The way that you get to know God is by obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But we, we often think, we don't often think of the gospel as something to obey, do we? Because the gospel is good news. Literally translated, the word gospel means good news. So why does he say you must obey the gospel? Well, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's the good news that we are under new management. It's the good news that you don't have to rule your own life and be the general manager of the universe. Jesus is taking over the job. And you submitting to him. And obeying the gospel is, it's, it is good news. It's good news that you can now obey the one who has become your Lord. You step down from being your own Lord and only obeying yourself. And you say, Jesus, you stepping up to your rightful place as Lord of my life. I submit to you as Lord of my life. And, and, and I obey you. So, um, you know, Obeying the gospel. In contrast, when Paul prays, in contrast to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, when Paul prays, he prays basically, if I can sum it up, that the Thessalonian Christians would obey the gospel. Okay? So he prays for three things. He prays, what does the gospel do? Um, I mean, the gospel does a lot, but you could, one way to summarize it is the gospel does justification, it does sanctification, it does glorification. Now, many Christians think only that, that the gospel only does justification. It only saves us from the penalty of our sin. But they don't realize that the gospel also does sanctification. The gospel saves us from the power of our sin. And it also does glorification. Ultimately, it's the gospel that will save us from the presence of sin. From the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay? Now, 
He, Paul prays for all of that according to the grace. What is, where does the grace come from? From the gospel. According to the grace of God uh, in the gospel. Now we know that the gospel, I, I say this often, quote this often, the gospel is not good advice about what we must do to save ourselves. It's good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ to save us. Okay, and that's important. Don't think when you're trying to obey the gospel that the gospel is good advice that you need to obey and the better you obey it, the, then you're going to get saved. Okay? That's, that's, that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And it looks like a very subtle difference, and it is. It's so subtle, it, it contains the same two elements. Obedience and acceptance. But the order, the difference in order makes all the difference in the world. So this is the clear justification. Paul says, I pray that God may make you worthy of his calling. Now just think about that. That implies, the, the word calling in Paul's um, theology means calling you into the kingdom. That's your justification. So when he's referring to your calling, he's referring to your justification, that God, through the gospel, called you into his family, into covenant with him, into relationship with him, into his kingdom. And it's a call that you responded to, the call to discipleship or the call to, to be, be God's child. But, but notice what he says. He says, I pray that God may make you worthy of his calling, which implies that when you received the calling, you weren't worthy. And that God, through the same grace of the gospel, is busy with the process of making you worthy of the calling of which you were not worthy when he called you. Can you see the grace of the gospel at work there? So all of us, when we justify it, when we respond to the call, we receive God's divine calling to be part of his family, none of us is worthy of that calling. But then, not only does God call us, but He starts with that calling a process to make us worthy of the calling with which He called us, which, which I think is absolutely amazing. And, and, and that's, the, that's, that's the heart of the gospel, that Jesus was treated as though He was not worthy, so that we can be treated as though we were worthy. Jesus was treated as we deserve to be treated, so that we could be treated as Jesus deserved to be treated. That is the good news. He called us while we were unworthy, completely unworthy. And then he starts by that very calling to make us worthy of the calling. Justification. But then sanctification. He says, uh, I pray that, that God may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed of faith. And this shows that God, through prayers and the power of the Spirit, works upon our wills, desire, and our works, our deeds, to line them up more with his character, with his desires and his deeds. Okay, now, that's, that's part of our sanctification. That means that, that, that our sanctification starts with desires and then it goes to deeds. It's inside out. It's from the inside out. Um, Another scripture, let me just, I think I did put it up here. Philippians 1, uh, sorry, Philippians 
2, verse 13 and 14 says, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will, desire, and to act, deeds, in order to fulfill his good pleasure, or in line with his good pleasure. Notice what Paul says there. Paul says, doesn't say, continue to work for your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, you must obey God, and you're good enough so that you can obey God without God's help, and therefore obey God. Work for your salvation. Earn it. Deserve it. And then when you feel you are deserving it, you become all proud proud and, and puffed up and arrogant. And you judge other people who are not as good as you. And many Christians, in inverted commas, do that. Like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. But that's religion. The gospel says, no, 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 no. You don't work for your salvation with fear and trembling. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, the gospel is that God is constantly working in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And all you have to do is to work out what God is working in. In other words, it's God doing it and we working out what God is working. Now, notice that it does say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Fear and trembling as though it really matters that you work it out. <laughs> so there's no such thing as, you know, resting, resting on your laurels and becoming, you know, all complacent. Paul knows nothing of that. In fact, if you, if what Paul is saying is true, then Paul thinks you'll have better motivation to work harder. He even says it in some scriptures. I work harder, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. I work harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Okay, so sanctification. Um, these verses show something profound about how God works in us to sanctify us and how we should pray for it. If God is constantly working in us so that we can work out what he's working in us, once again, why should we pray for it? Well, Paul says, because it's God's will. Do you pray for yourself and for others that God would work at your desires of your heart to line up so that you'll have desires for goodness? Do you pray for yourself and for others that God would cause those desires for goodness to manifest in acts of faith? Not acts of self-reliance, but acts of faith in God, independence on God. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to change our desires and He wants it to manifest in our, in, in our deeds. Now, note carefully that not every desire that you have is from God. Paul says, let every desire for goodness that God, he prays that God will bring to fruition every desire for goodness. Every desire that's not for goodness, that comes from you. God's not going to bring that to fruition necessarily. And it's, it doesn't say that every deed comes from God and, and will be brought to fruition by God. He says, Lord, every deed of faith, every deed prompted by faith, every work of faith, that God will bring that to fruition. Okay, so we should, through prayer, nurture the desires and the deeds 
that are from God in ourselves and each other. We should nurture them through prayer. In other words, our sanctification, we pray that God will accomplish it, but through our prayers and, and through our responsiveness to God, we, have a, we participate in it. Now, you might say, but Henny, you know, which, which one is it? You know, is it God doing it or is it me doing it? Yes. <laughs> it is God doing it and it's you doing it. <laughs> it's both. It's not like God's work is and your work in your obedience are mutually exclusive. God works through your desires and your deeds of obedience and of faith. Okay, then glorification. Not only uh, will Jesus be glorified in us, but we'll be glorified in him. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. I mean, think how glorious Jesus is and is, is going to be revealed to be on Judgment Day when, when, you know, the veils are taken away and nothing is held back. I mean, it's, it's going to be so scary, says that, uh, Paul, uh, you know, in the previous verses, that, that we are going to marvel as you believe, we're going to marvel at him. Now, now, what does, what does it mean to marvel? When you marvel at something, it means that, that your expectations have been exceeded. That means that on judgment day, when you see Jesus, no matter how your expectations, how, how high your expectations are of how glorious he's going to be, you're going to marvel. Your expectations are going to be so far exceeded, you're going to fall on your back. You're going to just cry out in worship. It's, you're just going to be gobsmacked. But notice what he says, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. You in him. So what he's saying is that, that already now you're being glorified, but that glory is going to intensify. I always think of a, you know, those, those light switches that have you know, those dim buttons that you can sort of dim it down to darkness and then turn it the other way and, and it gets progressively more light. And the life becomes more intense. And, and, and Paul says that through my prayers, I'm praying that God will continue to turn up the brightness. You know, the dim switch is turned down, and, and, and I pray that God will continue to turn it up. Turn it up, turn it up, until on judgment day, the full glory of his light flows through you. Think about that for a moment. Do... Do we pray for one another as for those who will be glorified in Jesus? Do we pray for one another as for those who will one day shine with the glory of Jesus? Do I pray for Leanne as someone who will outlast and outshine the sun one day? The sun will pass away. The moon, the stars, they'll all pass away. Christians will never pass away. The sun shines brightly now, yes. If you look at it, you know, during the, 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 the heat of the day, straight without any filter, you can go blind. But each one of you believes, each one of you are in Christ. Not only will Christ be glorified in you, but you will be glorified in him to such an extent that you will outshine the sun. Not only outshine it in terms of shine longer than it, but outshine it in brightness and in glory. Do you pray for the people that you pray for as though that is true of them? In other words, do you pray with the end in mind? 
Do you say, this is what they're inevitably going to become in Christ, and I pray that now already this will start happening more and more in their lives until it's fully realized. Can you see how, see how Paul is praying? Now, just a, another one. If you can just bring up those diagrams with the circles. Just the first one, please. Um, spoke about justification, um, sanctification, glorification. Paul is basically, I mean, we said, in contrast to not knowing God and not obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus, Paul is praying, basically, that the Thessalonians will obey the the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And, 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 and I just want to show you, he's praying, because the gospel is God's story, and there's our story. And what, what Paul is basically praying is that those two stories will be progressively overlap more and more until they fully overlapped. Okay? So, so firstly, he says, um, I pray that God may make you worthy of the calling. Now, when do you call someone? Do you call someone when they're near or when they're far? You call someone when they fall, when there's some distance. And before we knew God, before God called us, before we were justified, before we were saved, there was distance between us and God. God was far, and He called us near. Okay? And then the next diagram, He talks about every desire for goodness and every deed of faith. So, so there you can, see, you can see that, that God is bringing to fruition certain desires and certain deeds. In us. In other words, there's already starting to be a significant overlap between what God desires and we desire. Between what God does and what we do. God's story and our story is starting to significantly overlap. And then, in the next diagram, he talks about Christ glorified, Jesus glorified in you and you in him. And on judgment day, the overlap will become so extensive that it will be basically complete. Christ in you, you in Christ. Him glorified in you, you glorified in Him. Can you see how Paul is praying that the two stories will overlap more and more? These are gospel prayers that he's praying. So, just want you to think for a moment. What have you learned from, from Paul about prayer? just want you to close your eyes just for a moment. What have you learned from Paul about prayer? And how are you going to, in light of this, pray differently for yourself and others? How are you, in light of this, going to pray differently for, for yourself and others? Just think about that for a moment. So Lord God, we just want to thank you, Lord, that that you really, really do answer prayers. That our prayers really matter. That you use our prayers. And thank you, Lord, that you teach us to pray. Lord, I, I just pray for every person here this morning and every person watching on YouTube or, or listening, Lord, on the podcast. I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that, that we will see how important and how powerful prayer is and that we'll start praying like never before lord even those of us who have been praying a lot lord we pray lord that we'll pray even more lord and those who who have been praying a little lord god that will be inspired by your word to pray much more and lord we pray lord that as we pray in line with the gospel that we'll see the same kind of results that paul saw 
the same kind of glory being brought to you. The same kind of surprising invasion of history by your presence through your church. The same kind of turning of the world upside down. In Jesus' name, Lord, we we just consecrate ourselves to you and we pray, Lord, that like Paul, Lord, we'll we'll pray with that serious conviction that our prayers really matter, really make a difference. And we pray that you'll use our prayers to glorify your name in ways that will astound even us as you do far above what we can ask or think or even imagine according to your great power that is at work in us. Lord, I just pray your blessing over your people, whether they're physically here or only virtually joining in. I pray your blessing over your people, Lord. Lord, specifically, Lord, the blessing of such a deep, aching desire listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.